that said, recording on, and uh, the sleep tips, well, that's what you got for being here uh, at nine o'clock this morning, West Coast time. So like I say, I hope some of that is useful. And, and I know a lot of people are struggling with sleep and, and it's got a lot to do with what's going on you know, between our, our ears, uh, for sure. There's no shortage of things to keep us awake at night these days, but why not play every little functional advantage you can, right? So the white noise generator, the glasses, the earplugs, the sleep mask, like it's, it's a wonderful combination. So hopefully that helps out with somebody here. Yeah, it's the inside that's the problem, I, I hear you. Like I say, the earplugs, they, they don't block out the voices inside our head. And, you know, probably the most pressing thing yesterday for uh, a lot of people, certainly for our fellow Albertans uh, in particular, I mean, I'm on the West Coast, so that's who I tend to think of when I think oil, I think Alberta. I know that it impacts other uh, areas of the country as well. But uh, wow. So basically, uh, you can be paid $37 to, to take a barrel of oil, like negative $37. That's just it's astounding. Like it makes no sense, uh, right? I mean, when you f at first when you think about it, but I did a little bit of reading on it, and uh, so my understanding of it, like, look, is this negative news factually? Absolutely, this is a negative thing. There's no way around it. Psychologically, I think it's probably even more damaging. Uh, but maybe to lessen the psychological impact, and and hopefully. Um, ultimately realize that perhaps the actual economic impact of this may not be epic disaster, probably still a disaster, but it may not be of epic proportions, is understanding that what has actually gone to negative $37 is the May contract. So that's the oil being delivered in May. So, you know, these, these, it's all about the stock market and betting on the future prices and of contracts and everything else. So there's all these contracts to deliver oil in May that people were buying, you know, six months ago or however long ago, based on what they thought the demand would be in May. And of course, the demand has just fallen off. It's, it's gone in the short term. I mean, is the long term demand for oil gone? Are we all going to embrace solar power and wind power and all these things? I mean, Sure, more people are purchasing electric cars, although right now nobody's buying any cars. So that's a whole nother kettle of fish. But oil isn't just transportation. Oil is still manufacturing and consumption. There's petroleum is, you know, petroleum base is in so many different goods. And manufacturing's been shut down. So the bottom line is, is like there's no demand for those May contracts. So all of that oil scheduled to be delivered in May, nobody wants it. Nobody's got room for it. Nobody's got capacity to store it. They, they, like they just don't want it. The June contract is still 20 bucks a barrel. So not awesome, but it's still 20 bucks a barrel for the June oil. So this is not like, it's oil in May, it's not oil forever. You wanna buy oil in June, you wanna schedule delivery in June, you're still paying 20 bucks a barrel. So, you know, it's, it's those further out contracts that we really need to keep an eye on, but we've just, they've kind of hit a point where they had all of this production and zero consumption and nowhere to put the leftover gap. I mean, they produced it, but there's nowhere to put it. So now what? So you have to pay somebody to take it away. So what does that actually mean moving towards house prices uh, in the general economic sense? Again, I think, you know, we're in a state right now where there's as much negative news as positive news. There's enough 
theories out there on how this is going to be a, a short-term impact, a long-term impact. It's going to, it's going to wipe out this industry, but it's going to set up this. And like, there's all this mixed opinion. And what that really means is nobody knows anything. Uh, nobody knows anything. But the one thing I do keep hearing out of economists uh, who are, you know, often a very pessimistic sounding uh, group is, uh, the, you know, pent up demand is one of the phrases we keep hearing. And limited supply is another one. And ultimately, everybody needs a place to live. And I recognize you need to have a job to pay for that place to live. So the real question is going to be teasing out, you know, the millions of unemployed Canadians. How many of those are homeowners? How many of those are tenants? And so what does that mean for the impact on house prices? And we're going to see record low interest rates continuing, you know, as I've touched on uh, at least once before, at least yesterday, perhaps not last week. Um, but, I, you know, I'll repeat it briefly. You know, you look at the 2008-2009 economic crash and uh, the Bank of Canada Prime stayed low for 10 years. It took 10 years for Prime to recover. Now, there's some theories that because this is not a man-made incident, uh, that that means we're going to recover more quickly from this. Uh, there's theories that once you know a vaccination is available, boom, we're going to really swing back to life and return to normal. Uh, there's a lot of theories that we're going to adapt much more quickly than people think, and, uh, and that the economy and the housing market and everything else will continue. But I think it's overly optimistic to suggest that the Bank of Canada will move Prime back up, you know, never mind one or one and a half points. Like if it goes back up one point, still ridiculously low. Um, but to see Prime go back up two full percentage points or three percentage points, to say that that's going to happen inside five years, I think is a real stretch. Um, you know, maybe up a point over the next five years at best. So as I say, I still am a little bit of a fan of the variable rate mortgage, but more importantly, those low interest rates are going to help drive confidence in buyers' minds, confidence that they're going to be able to afford their payments you know, for the first five years of, of that mortgage. So we'll see. And in a little bit of other good news, uh, hitting people's inboxes probably around now uh, or over the next hour, there's be some updates from one of our major lenders on some new programs that I just skimmed very briefly before I jumped back over here to do this. I, I did get a bit of a preview of what's coming. I'm not going to try and articulate it. I'm just going to say, watch for your inbox, watch for the news. Uh, it's that big red bank. And uh, they, they've got some new programs coming out that look like positive news. Um, we'll read them in detail and, and we can all discuss that uh, a little later. So the other piece I wanted to touch on, and, uh, and again, I touched on this uh, on the unrecorded segment yesterday morning, uh, the social media thing, uh, a little bit of a different thought on it. I was having a conversation with one of our suppliers. Uh, suppliers include insurers, uh, conveyance firms, you know, whether it's a lawyer or it's FCT, uh, the lenders, all of them are kind of in the same boat with, with just still a sheer amount of just unprecedented volume of transactions to process and a very difficult environment to, I thought I had something on the, on the screen, um, a very difficult environment to process a regular amount of transactions in, let alone, you know, a 300% spike. So 
a little bit of love, a little bit of patience, a little bit of tolerance, a little bit of understanding uh, will go a long, long ways. And when it comes to social media, when one of your partners lets you down, whether it's a lender, whether it's a conveyance team in the middle, whether it's an appraisal firm, to go on social media and call that company out is not the best idea. It's not going to necessarily get your transaction completed any faster. It may in the short term get that one dealt with. I'll, I'll grant you that, but you will never be forgotten by that company that you've called out. You will never be forgotten. And I don't mean that in a very positive way, right? I mean, when you have a problem with somebody, like if you have a problem with somebody here right now, like you have a problem with something I've said, what's the best way to deal with that problem? Is it to go on social media and say, Woodhouse said this, he's a moron, uh, which well, sometimes I say things that probably make me sound like a moron. But is that the best way to deal with it? Or is the best way to maybe, I don't know, send me an email, the text, pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, you said X. And like, that sounds really stupid to me. Like, what am I not understanding? And, you know, maybe there's something there was lost in communication or, or maybe I did say something legitimately stupid, which it would be great to have that information that I've miscommunicated something or handled something poorly. Uh, because, hey, that gives me a chance to correct it, not just for that person, but, but publicly. And it's a much more productive way of solving things. So as I say, you know, is it true? Is it positive? Is it useful? It might be true and it might be useful to call out a company, but, but, but is it positive? Probably not. And it's probably not positive in the long run for your own relationship with that company. And everyone is watching, you know, inside these Facebook groups, there's a lot of BDMs for a lot of companies and they are watching and they are taking note. And you know, the most painful thing, and we're all experiencing it right now, is we can perform 19 miracles in one day, like 19 just incredible things and virtually nobody cares. Because on the outside, it just looks like the thing that was supposed to happen happened the way it normally happens. We are not in normal times. When you're making something happen, Normally, in abnormal times, that is often a series of small miracles that came into play to make that happen. But boy, oh boy, you drop the ball one time and you're just, you know, burned to the ground. And as we know, as individuals, you know, we can close five files in a month, 10 files in a month, 15, 20 files in a month, some of us, and, and everything's amazing. Everything's great, but one one thing goes wrong in one of those files and it just takes you down hard. And every one of these companies, this is the thing, they're composed of human beings who are trying really hard, who are working unprecedented hours right now. And the majority of them are salaried. Like they're basically working 20, 30, 40, some of them 50 hours a week extra for free, for free. And then what happens? They get crapped all over on because something they tried to do didn't work. I mean, you're lucky that thing even, there was even an effort to make that thing happen because really only about half of what happened should have happened because the person's been working double the hours along with their whole team. So I think it's really important to keep that in mind for all of us because that's how we're gonna get through this thing. And when you look at uh, some of the entities, like you look at our federal government, love them or hate them, political party in power, love them or hate them, 
you got to give them credit for how fast they've been moving. I mean, that first 50 basis point rate cut, a lot of people's heads kind of turned like, where did that come from? Why did they cut? And then the emergency cut the following Friday, people were like, what's even happening? Like it, they were ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, a lot of ways. And to bash them and say they were behind the curve, I, I don't think is entirely fair. And uh, and then even the, the programs that come out with the mortgage payment, the furl and the CERB, again, love or hate those programs. I mean, fast, you gotta give them credit for these big, huge entities to move as quickly as they have. Now there's a few little things uh, in, in banking world that we would have liked to see happen faster, but, but for the most part, they're actually happening. And, and that's a pretty great thing. And so ultimately, look, when it comes to whatever you're communicating out there, let's try and deliver value. Like, let's not try and deliver fear. Like, let's not talk about the bad things. Let's talk about the good things. And if you feel compelled to talk about a bad thing, try and frame it in a positive way, or at least try and make 19 positive posts to offset the one negative post. I, I suppose that would be it. And, you know, the, the, the other thing to, on that topic, too, I've had a couple conversations with people about, uh, you know, how amazing this time is. Like, it's just so great. What a great time to, you know, learn how to cook and spend time with family and learn a new language and finish that book. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect. But I've had some conversations with people who are like genuinely embracing the slowdown and they're they're like oh it's just it's giving me time to catch up it's almost like a mini vacation it's it's actually not that bad and and you see some posts out there sharing that kind of thing and that's where we start to walk a bit of a fine line with the positivity um, because we do have to keep in mind it is a pandemic uh, it obviously there's a lot of negative things happening and for millions of Canadians, there's major, major financial stress. And Canadians don't like to talk about their finances with anyone. So having that conversation randomly from six feet away in the street with your neighbor about like, isn't it just great? Like, you know, we're, I'm seeing fathers out walking with their kids in the park in the middle of the day. What a wonderful thing to see. Uh, you know, I'm seeing otherwise spouses, it shouldn't just say fathers, that, that was the comment that was made to me. Uh, but, but, you know, mothers and fathers who typically are at work, they're, now they're getting time with their kids and isn't that fantastic. Well, I mean, keep in mind that when you see that parent uh, walking through the park with their kids in the middle of the day, that parent may have lost their employment, they may have lost their business, they may be watching their whole life be vaporized before, vaporized before their eyes, and they may be inside their heads be wondering how the hell they're going to keep a roof over their kid's head next month, next year, like what, what it's going to look like. So... Yeah, we want to be positive, but oof, you know, it's 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 a sensitive time, that's for sure. It's a very tricky time. And it's a tricky time, segue into sort of my second last point that I wanted to make today. Um, cuts to your business, cuts to expenses. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've spoken in the past about evaluating your personal life expenses, like what can you eliminate temporarily, uh, maybe permanently, some of these things. And, and tightening the belt up and then evaluating your income and being a little pessimistic on the income and being a little aggressive on the expenses and making sure that your personal life works out uh, income and expense wise with business and with life too, I suppose. The, you know, I heard a great analogy not long ago and when it comes to making cuts to any company, you've got to take a step back and think about, okay, 
maybe three headings, fat, muscle, bone. So where's the fat? Where's the fat in, in the business? And maybe it's a, you know, a marketing campaign or some splashy kind of fancy thing that you were doing. Maybe it's a new coat of paint you were going to put out on the outside of the building next month. You know, the, the, the fat can be kind of extraneous. It might be, it might be an extra couple people that you have to pick up some slack. Um, but you have to think about, is that fat that I'm trimming or is it not? Especially when it comes to people, because people are really hard to find they're really hard to train, and they're really hard to retain. So before you start thinking of, of staff as fat to be trimmed, you really have to think about if and when things pick back up, how soon might that be? How hard will it be for me to replace those people or call those people back? So you know, there, there's a lot to be said for carrying people through a tough time and trying to repurpose them in the meantime. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm lucky that I'm involved in a company that like, we still have so much happening uh, on the growth side internally. We don't have these concerns, but I know a lot of companies do. And so identifying the fat is one thing. And then, you know, depending on how things go, you might have to start cutting into the muscle. And that gets a little bit tougher to do for sure. But you really want to make sure you're not going all the way down to the bone too fast. And again, one of the most expensive things a company has is typically payroll and it's typically people they're looking at and you can, you know, drop people depending on how big your company is and how many different people you have. You can sort of drop people into those three headings. You know, maybe there's departments that just aren't necessary, right? Like maybe you can get away without that, a chunk of that department. Um, but there are, you know, those core people that are not just muscle, but some of them, they're bone. And it's going to hurt to remove those people from your company. And it may damage your company permanently moving forward. So I just wanted to give you sort of that analogy to sort of think about the things that you're cutting back on. Are they fat? Are they muscle? Or are they bone? Right? I mean, fat you can put back on pretty easily. We all know that. Just sit on the couch and don't go to the gym and eat lots of ice cream. No problem. Uh, muscle is a little bit trickier to put back on. It takes a little bit more work. It takes a little bit more time, but but you can build that back up. But as I say, be cautious when you start getting down to the bone. That's where things get very, very dicey. And the last thing I wanted to leave off with was what I opened with, which as I say, uh, tomorrow's and Thursday's uh, sessions, a couple of great guests. Tomorrow we're gonna have a conversation about you know that home office you've got. How are you backing up your data on a cloud, on a redundant hard drive or two or three? Uh, what does the internet connection look like? Is it Wi-Fi or is it a direct with a unique IP address? Um, you know, who else is jumping on that computer? A bunch of different things and then programs, software, hardware uh, that we'll discuss as well. So that'll be Aaron Finney and uh, myself having a chat about that. And then Jake will be back on Thursday to do round two of, uh, of the conversation about you know, the shift from face-to-face -to, -face to telephone. So that's kind of me in a nutshell for the day. And uh, I think I'm just going to leave it at that because 26 minutes is beautiful. I'm very happy to be done in 26 minutes. So I hope you've grabbed some value out of that. Uh, if there are any questions, I'll hang around for a few minutes, but nobody's typed a question. That's wonderful. Everybody's got everything figured out. I preemptively answered every question. I, I don't think so, but uh, there we go. You know what? All right. I see some thank yous coming in, and I'm going to run with that. So over and out, everybody. Have an awesome day. I will see you guys tomorrow. Take care. Cheers.